Well, this morning we are continuing our series in Psalms, and this morning we want to go through, we want to study our way through a short but very poignant psalm. If you would, turn to Psalm 13. This is a psalm written by David, and it is a psalm that is known as a lament. It is a psalm where a man is crying out in anguish. It is a psalm where a man's heart has been tested. It is a psalm that David writes based on a life that has been seriously challenged. So read along with me in Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, because he has dealt bountifully with me. Father, we pray this morning and ask you to give us eyes and ears to hear once again. Lord, this is you speaking to us. Help us to hear. Lord, help us not to be deaf or to be dull in listening to your voice. Lord, I pray that as these dear friends of mine listen to your words, that they would encounter you personally and that their love for you would only grow and that they would be well aware today of how much you love them. Lord, thank you for giving me the opportunity to address my church this morning. May I do it well. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the Psalms of lament are full of sorrow. They are filled with disorientation. They're experiences of pain and distress and anger and feelings of abandonment. That's what the Psalms of lament are. And there are more Psalms of lament in, in, the, in the entire book of Psalms than any other type of Psalm. 62 of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. I think it's one of the main reasons the Psalms are so helpful to us when we're reading them because we can identify with the pain and distress that the psalmist is experiencing. We can, we can interact with them. Now, Psalm 13 doesn't give us any details about why David is in such despair, but that he is in despair and why he feels so abandoned, but he is in his mind abandoned. But it's actually helpful that we don't have any historical details. We don't know exactly why David is telling us why he's 
feeling abandoned and why he's in such despair. I think the lack of historical detail allow us, allows us as modern day believers to insert our own lives into the psalm. Because I know in certain psalms where David talks about his enemies who want to kill him, I, I don't quite identify I, I, I walk out my front door, there's nobody there with a sword waiting for me. You know, I, so, so when David just talks about these kinds of despair and abandonment and feelings of being alone, I, that I can identify with. Notice the repetition of the first two verses that David, four times, how long, O Lord, how long will you hide? How long must I take counsel? How long shall my enemy enemy be exalted? David feels that life is out of control because God has disappeared. And life makes no sense to David. Makes no sense at all. little story for you. One afternoon, a man came home from work to find total mayhem in his house. His three children were outside, still in their pajamas, playing in the mud with empty food boxes and wrappers strewn all around the front yard. The door of the wife's car was open, as was the front door to the house. Proceeding into the entry, he found even a bigger mess. A lamp had been knocked over and the throw rug was wadded up against one wall. In the front room, the TV was loudly blaring a cartoon channel, and the family room was strewn with toys and various items of clothing. In the kitchen, dishes filled the sink. Breakfast food was spilled on the counter. Dog food was spilled on the floor. A broken glass lay under a table, and a small pile of sand was spread by the back door. He quickly headed upstairs, stepping over toys and more piles of clothes, looking for his wife. He was worried she may be ill or that something serious had happened. He found her lounging in the bedroom, still curled in bed in her pajamas, reading a novel. She looked at him and smiled and asked how his day went. He looked at her bewildered and said, what happened here today? She again smiled and answered, you know, every day when you come home from work and you ask me what in the world I did today? Yes, was the incredulous reply. She answered, Well, I didn't do it. (laughs) The psalm, this psalm is David's way of saying, God didn't do it. Something has not happened. My world is out of order because of God. I've come home and life is a complete mess, but not just for one day in David's life. He's simply saying life is falling apart around me and it's been going on for so long. I don't think I can hang on anymore. My trial has been so long, I don't think I can go on anymore. I find that interesting because David is a man known after God's own heart. And these words are perplexing in light of David's close relationship to God. But they're real words and they're real feelings and we have these real feelings as well. And these words are, are helpful to us. And it's not wrong that we feel this way. I, you read through Psalm 13 and one thing you will not discover is God chastising David for this psalm. God, God doesn't speak in this psalm. 
And David does not confess any sin in this psalm. David does what humans do. They cry out. And this psalm is, for us, I believe, a a, a wonderful gateway into honest prayer and honest conversation with God. That we don't walk away feeling guilty or condemned that we cry out to God in complaint, which is what this is. And yet we have a God who doesn't condemn us. The psalmist is an honest human and he expresses life in a real way with God and God compassionately listens to him and does not condemn him. And I believe this psalm provides for us a guideline this morning where we can learn to express our emotions, our humanity, our feelings in a place where we feel like we might have been abandoned by God. Because that's what this psalm is about. It's about David feeling abandoned by God. And I think we can be like David in this psalm. So three points, because these are, these are timeless words for us, friends. These are timeless words. The, the word of God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And these are timeless words for us that fit the very circumstances you're in today. Regardless of what those circumstances are. I mean, do you ever feel abandoned by God? Ever? Has there anyone ever felt abandoned by God in this room? Raise, raise your hand. Yeah, all, all of us do. Do you ever feel forgotten? Do you ever feel like God has hidden his face from you? Do you ever pray over a season and just feel like, I'm not sure my prayers reach the ceiling, much less God? Somehow he has hidden his face. Do you have sorrow? Do you have enemies? Yes. You know, I used to, I used to think I, I, I didn't have any enemies. 25 years ago, I would have never dreamed I really had any enemies. And now I have the internet. <laughs> and I can discover that there are more folks out there. And, and these, this psalm is more real to me today. So three points, I think, what we can learn from David today. The first one is this. It is good for suffering believers to express pain. It is good for suffering believers to express pain. The second one is, it is crucial that suffering believers turn to prayer. It is crucial that suffering believers turn to prayer. And thirdly, it is life-changing when suffering believers offer praise. It is life-changing when suffering believers offer praise. God bless you. (laughs) I'll repeat those as we go through. But look at the first. It is good for suffering believers to express pain. Look at David's expression of pain in verses 1 and 2. How long, O Lord... Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted 
over me. Four times in the opening verses, David exclaims the same question, how long will this trial last? How long, O Lord, how long will I be suffering? How long will these headaches last? How long will this cancer last? How long will this relational breakdown last? How long will my child be sick? How long do these things go on? How long will my marriage struggle? How long will we be seemingly impoverished? How long will it ever change? God, David's patience has reached its limit. His great anguish of heart and his desire for deliverance has reached a breaking point to the point where in his mind, God has abandoned him. God has forgotten him. God has forsaken him. This is David's reality at this moment. God has hidden from him. In other words, David lives a godless existence in his mind. David is, in his mind, experiencing the ravages and judgment of what hell is all about. Life without God. David's pain and trial No, whatever it is, has brought him to this place. It has prolonged. It has gone on for so long. David is just saying, I I can't do it anymore. I love what Spurgeon said. David David wrote many of the lament psalms, almost all of them. And I love what, what Spurgeon said about David. He said, David's heart was more often out of tune than his harp. (laughs) <laughs> I, I can identify. I can identify. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? The pain of trial is, is not its acute nature as it is its prolonged nature. Many times I have been in trials that are acute and, and, and big at the moment, but, but they, you get through them. It's, it's the prolonged ones that just seem to go on and on and on. And, and nobody can dis- discern what chrono- chronological time frame that is. For one person, it could be, you know, a month. Another person, it could be 10 years. But I know the feeling. So I wait this knee surgery and this, this knee has been going on and on and on. And I think, how long, oh Lord, have you forgotten my knee forever? I understand. And it, it's much different when short-term experience becomes a long-term pattern. When we see no end to a trial, that's when we, we are drawn to despair. 
Think about a child and a parent who are separated, a wayward child who, and, and, and as, you know, for younger parents, this is not your experience. For older parents, this can be when you've seen a child go wayward. And you wonder how long, and you fear for their soul, and you fear for their life. You think, Lord, how, how long will this go on? Andrew Fuller said, it is not under the sharpest but the longest trials that we are most in danger of fainting. Not the sharpest trials, but the longest trials. And that's, that's David's cry here. Sometimes Jesus sees fit not to immediately answer our situation, but comes often when our trial reaches its pinnacle. The thing is, we don't know it's reached its pinnacle. We think last week was its pinnacle. And we go on another week. And it thinks, oh, it's just gotten worse. And then it goes on another month. In, Matthew, in Mark chapter 6, the disciples are on immediately after he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, Jesus went up to the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was on the sea and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. He's watching as they're rowing painfully against the wind. And rather than coming to them on the first watch, he comes to them on the fourth watch. We often experience that. God coming to us on the fourth watch. George Hutchinson said this. He said, in the midst of trial... We are indeed very sparing of ourselves in trouble and do soon to begin to think that we are low and tried enough and therefore we would be delivered. But our wise Lord sees that we need more. How many have been in a trial, been in the middle of a trial and just said, Lord, it's just not enough. (laughs) Can, Can you go a little longer? No, we, we look for the opposite. We determine in our wisdom that the wisdom of God is wrong and the wisdom of me is right and that if I were God in this situation, this trial would have ended a long time ago. It's not, gonna, it's not ending when it's supposed to. But understand this. God does not forget David's complaint is human and it's honest, but it is not accurate. When David says, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? David's complaint is true in his experience, but it is not accurate in reality. God never forgets. I just read in Hebrews 13, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Matthew 28, lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Charles Spurgeon said this, 
above all, can Jehovah's heart forget his own beloved children? Ah, brethren, drive that thought away. God will not forget. But David just doesn't feel like God's forgotten. He says, how long will you hide your face from me? Now, is it true? Does God hide our, his face from us? Does he really turn his face away? Well, I think in a manner of speaking, yes, he does. There are times that God does hide his face from us. He sometimes hides behind a frowning providence. And we are desperate to see him, and we don't. It's a terrible feeling when he hides his face. We read in Numbers a benediction very often on Sunday. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And when we feel like God has hidden his face from us, we feel like his face is no longer shining upon us and his blessings and peace are not with us. It's a terrible feeling to experience the absence of blessing and peace from God's face looking at us. But God is always smiling behind a frowning providence. That is again where David's cry, how long will you hide your face, is true, but it is not accurate that God is doing it forever. And then David goes on to say, how long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? Oh, everybody in this room must be able to identify when you go through a season of grief and you've lost a loved one and there's this sense of sorrow in your heart all day long. Loss brings that. David cries out. I think this is where in, in Lloyd-Jones' book, Spiritual Depression, he exhorts us not to listen to ourselves, but to speak to ourselves. Rather, not give ourselves counsel. Because the counsel stinks. It's just bad counsel. Most of the time when, when I give myself counsel in the midst of my pain and trials, I, I counsel myself to eat ice cream or, or, or Lido's or, or something that somehow is going to, to bring me out of my despair and my depression. And I, yesterday I was working and my, my knee was just, for whatever reason, the change of weather was throbbing all day long. And I, and I just told Marilyn, it just, it just never stops hurting. And, and I was just feeling a bit down yesterday. And so Marilyn went out and Florida State was playing Notre Dame. And so there happened to be two Klondikes left. And so I thought, I'll just try eating two Klondikes rather than one. And you know what? It felt good until I was done. And then I still, my knee still hurt. It didn't work. I could have rubbed the ice cream on my knee. I don't think it would have changed the thing. It just the counsel we give ourselves in trial, in the midst of how long the counsel we give ourselves just is bad counsel. How long I, must I take counsel in my soul is, is not good and have sorrow in my heart all the day long. So, so 
I think David, David has brought himself further to this place by giving himself counsel and by, in a sense, living in his sorrow. And then he goes on, the, the, the complaint is complete. It's not just God forgetting him. It's just not his own counsel turning against him, but it's enemies. How long How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? He believes God has abandoned him. His emotions have overtaken him. And now his enemy has overcome him. Who is the enemy? David doesn't say who the enemy is in this psalm. Let me suggest the enemy can be a number of things. It could be people. It could be sickness. It could be trouble. It could be your own sin. It could be the adversary, the devil, Satan. The the enemies are innumerable. And when we're in the midst of a long trial, it feels like our enemies do overcome. This sickness is never going to go away. These people are never going to stop maligning me and give me relief. This trouble that I'm experiencing at work is just going to go on forever. This sin that I have been battling just seems to overcome me every time. How long, O oh Lord, will my enemies exalt over me? This, this is David's cry. And it's a good cry. It's not a bad cry. It's just the cry of an honest, suffering, struggling man who just wants to connect with God once again. And church, I I want you to know these words are okay for us to say. It's okay to begin like this as well. But David turns a corner. David doesn't, this psalm doesn't end with how long shall my enemy be exalted over me. It's not a two-verse psalm. There is a two-verse psalm, but this isn't it. David turns the corner. Take note of the place of prayer in this psalm. It is right in the middle. It occurs in the middle. And that is David's turning point. And that's point number two. It is crucial that suffering believers turn to prayer. It's crucial that suffering believers turn to prayer. It's good for suffering believers to express pain, but it is crucial that suffering believers turn to prayer. David turns the corner and does what is so often very hard to do in a prolonged trial. And that is pray. Have you ever been in such a long trial where you just feel like there's no point in praying? I've prayed enough. It just, it's not working. I'm done. God, God knows if if God wants to deal with it, he will. I'm just done talking to God. That's not David's heart. His prayer is simple. He says three things. He says, look. The word consider there is actually look. 
look and answer me. Look upon me again. Don't hide your face from me. Look upon me. Make your face shine upon me once again. And be gracious to me once again. Look and and answer me. Answer me, Lord. Not just look upon me, but I'm speaking to you, God. And it's, it's not, I don't think it's a demand that is a sinful demand. It's a cry. Oh, God, won't you speak? And then he asks something interesting. He says, light up my eyes. I think it, when you look at the content of this psalm, you realize David's in darkness. David is in darkness and and he wants to see again. And what he wants to see is the goodness of God. That's what he's looking for. And so he he turns to prayer. He he pleads with God to to shine his face upon him once again, to look upon him. And even though his feelings say that God is not speaking to him, truth tells him something very different. David knows Because David was a man after God's own heart. What do you do when you feel God is silent? What do you do? Do you you act like the widow with the unjust judge? Banging God? What do you do? See, David's faith in God is not destroyed by his trials. David's faith in God remains. It stays intact. And David pleads with God that he might open his eyes. He says, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I've prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. That, I mean, that is... That is what the enemy does. They triumph and they, and they rejoice. And David's saying, no, no, no. Lord, you come on my behalf. And, and I mean, there's another psalm where David says, listen, if I'm dead, you're not getting any praise out of me. So, so keep me hanging on, Lord. I'm good for something. You know, just keep me hanging on. And, and that's what David's saying here. Look, look, I, I fear death. I fear being overcome by my trial. It's been going on for so long. This enemy, whatever it is, sickness or sin or, or people or whatever, this thing has been going on so long, I'm fearing that it's going to kill me. God, don't let it. Please sustain me. David pleads with God. We need to see God and we need, we need to see him in our trials and we need to see pain from his perspective and that in our trials, God gives us grace. In our troubles, he gives us grace. Psalm 86, a wonderful commentary on, on God in trials. In verse 6 of 86, David says this, Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. This, this is what is in David's heart. I plead for grace in the day of trouble, and you answer me. And that's the instruction here. In the day of your prolonged, how long trouble, plead for grace. Plead 
for grace because God will answer you. Many of us have cried similar prayers. We might have felt like we were at death's door. Those with serious illnesses, those under persecution, and those under the deepest depression who have no hope in life can feel like death is near. But David prayed because he believed that God would deliver him from his enemies. And he does. And God has delivered us from our greatest enemy. In Christ's death, our greatest enemy was defeated. Satan, sin, and death, no more. The victory that was necessary for us to once again be reconciled to God was won. God defeats our enemies. Whatever enemy that you're facing right now. Spurgeon said this, Our covenant God will complete the confusion of all our enemies, and if for a while we become their scoff and jest, the day is coming when the shame will change sides and the contempt shall be poured on those to whom it is due. I like the imprecatory psalms. I like the psalms that say, God's going to give us justice and our enemies are going to be defeated. We'll, We'll talk about an imprecatory psalm. But it is crucial, it is crucial that Suffering believers turn to prayer. And finally, it is life-changing when suffering believers offer praise. I love that David, in just a few short verses, I mean, think of it, four verses about how long, how long, how long, how long. You know, just three verses on, oh Lord, hear my prayer. And then he gets to, he just jumps right into I have trusted in your steadfast love. It's life-changing when suffering believers offer prayer, praise. There's no mention in this of David's trial ending. This This is not David's rejoicing at the end of his trial. This is David's worship in the midst of how long. This is David singing to the Lord in the middle of the prolonged trial that seemingly is having no end. That's the result of prayer. This is the answer to prayer. David has found delight in God even though he's not experienced deliverance. David has found delight in God even though he has not experienced deliverance. That's instructive to us. That's imperative to us. That we find delight in God, even in this prolonged season of suffering, pain, discouragement. David says, I have trusted, but 
I have trusted. So all these things, now forgetting me forever, hiding your face, having to take counsel and sorrow in my heart, enemy exalted over me, but I have trusted in your steadfast. The word is steadfast love. The word love there is hesed, which means mercy. I've trusted in your steadfast mercy. The mercies of God are new every morning. David has rediscovered the mercy of God. Faith is now being exercised. Like a shipwrecked sailor clinging to a mast, David is clinging to God. He's not letting go. And the power of his enemy, which is formidable, formidable enough for this trial to go on for so long, this formidable enemy does not drive David away from the stronghold of God's love. David doesn't give up his confidence in God. In fact, he moves on and he says, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. And in the Psalms, the word salvation is often can be translated victory. That David sees that God will bring him through, that God will save him. God will bring him victoriously through. Once again, David entrusts himself to God. God's covenant remains intact in David's heart. The covenant that that God made with David, the covenant that David trusted in of God's faithful love, unfailing love, steadfast love, David is once again turned back to. And as it remains with David, so it should remain with us. That we should trust in God's unfailing love. Because for us, as post-Psalm Christians, who look back at these Psalms and we see that I rejoice in your salvation, we have a much broader and deeper understanding of salvation. Because salvation in Christ is our ultimate hope and victory. That's, that's what we turn to. That I will never leave you nor forsake you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. There is no prolonged trial where I am not there. Hebrews 4, that we, he sympathizes with us in our weaknesses. And that we can come to his throne of grace for mercy and help to find grace in time of need. All because of Christ. Because we are his. We're his children. Our salvation is secure in him. And he has defeated Satan, sin, and death. And there is no victory over the children of God. We face minor skirmishes and battles, but in the end, the victory is Christ's. The victory has been won. And it's why we look to a day that he will return. That when David says, how long will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face? There's a day when we will see the face of God. God hasn't forgotten. And whatever trial... And whatever serious 
pain and suffering you're in, I want you to know God has not forgotten you. God has not forgotten you. And like David, I I think our, our lesson is that we want to learn to always see God's goodness in our trials, not just at the end of our trials. How often do you sit around and reminisce about this terrible trial you went through and you talk about it and it it wasn't as bad as you thought it was now, you know, a few years later as you're sitting down and and chatting. But, But in the midst of a trial, how bad it felt, how difficult it was. And you go back and you... Hindsight is so good. Oh yeah, God was so good in that trial. (laughs) I didn't say it, but he was. And David's response at the end of this is to worship God. I will sing to the Lord. I will sing to the one who abandoned me. I will sing to the one who forgot me. I will sing to the one who doesn't even look upon me. I will sing to the one who isn't there except that he is there. You see, it's, it's impossible to feel abandoned unless someone is actually abandoning you. And, and so someone has to be there. And David recognizes, first of all, God is there. And God never has abandoned him. God never has forgotten him. This psalm is calling us to worship when God seems so far away. David wisely in his heart, and you can read it in other places, he recounts the deeds of the Lord. This psalm is a powerful gospel message. Powerful gospel message. It's the message of God's covenant love, which we experience in Christ. It's the message of God's triumph over our enemies, which we experience in Christ. It's the message of God's transforming grace from a man in, in complaint to a man in worship. It's, it's a message of God's transforming grace, which we experience in Christ. Now understand this. Jesus can sympathize with us. He hung on a cross. Can you imagine how long must I suffer on this cross, O Lord? How long must my enemies triumph over me, O Father? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knows. He knows the power of pain. He knows the experience of how long, O Lord. And he can sympathize with us. But here is the point of the entire psalm. Verse 6. He has dealt bountifully with me. He has dealt bountifully with me. That, that's where David lands. And that's why this psalm is so good for us to be able to read and cry out because he starts in despair and he ends in delight. Verse 
he discovers once again the God who has dealt bountifully with him. And that is what we are called to do. Are you honestly talking to God and complaining to him? Are you doing that? You should. Are you praying? Are you turning to prayer? And are, are you, my, my question is, are you remaining in verses 1 and 2? Or are you making your way to verses 3 and through 6? Where do you land? Because David wants you to land here. He has dealt bountifully with me in Christ. Father, thank you for dealing bountifully with us in Christ. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. And Lord, thank you that you give us the freedom to be human, to be honest, to declare what we're feeling. And yet you always faithfully, by the power of your spirit, bring us through to the end to remember once again how bountifully you have dealt with us as we remember the love of our Savior and his sacrifice for us. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen.